This is the next generation for Western Connecticut. Uh, and if we sit here and, and just ha take a woe is me approach, uh, that you know that Hartford's having difficulties, and, and we have a budget deficit. We have a company that or companies leaving the state. No, we're not preaching that. We're saying this is this is our heritage and our history in the state, uh, in the region, in the city of Danbury. Is we build, we grow, we prosper, and actually we we accept and embrace adversity because that's when we call upon our community for creative ideas and that this is a cycle. And we're at the bottom now, but we're gonna claw and fight our way back up. Welcome to WCSU 411, a podcast about interesting people and achievements at Western Connecticut State University. I'm Paul Steinmetz, and today we are recording on the Midtown campus in the basement of White Hall with WestCon president, Dr. John Clark. Dr. Clark received his bachelor's in history, cum laude, from Providence College. Cum laude is the, only the third highest academic achievement you can get, but he did go on and get, earn two master's degrees in economics and in philosophy. Dr. Clark worked for 18 years as a Wall Street analyst and investment banker specializing in health and higher education. For much of that time, he was also working on his doctorate in education at Columbia University. His doctoral dissertation was on the works of the blessed John Henry Cardinal Newman. We'll talk about that later. Dr. Clark decided to leave Wall Street and was hired by the State University of New York, SUNY, where he held a series of leadership positions. He was the interim president of four SUNY colleges at Plattsburgh, Brockport, Alfred State and Optometry. He also served as interim chancellor of the SUNY system. He then moved to the City University of New York and has experience leading enrollment operations and business relations. So he has a whole range of uh, higher ed experience and outside higher ed experience. He came to Westcon with that uh, varied background, and I'd be remiss if I did not mention that Dr. Clark is married, and he and his wife Carolyn have two daughters. So Dr. Clark, with your background, uh, what I'd like to start with is uh, some discussion about what students who are just starting their university career should be doing and thinking about now. Yes. One thing we're emphasizing, Paul, I mean, back in the day uh, when a, a college education uh, meant uh, basically a liberal arts uh, education uh, and, and the job market was there, uh, that people are coming for an education per se and the baccalaureate was enough to get you immediate entry into the job market. And unfortunately, there, there, there's two aspects, a positive and a negative. The negative, as I said, unfortunately, was the recession. Uh, which really uh, did damage to the job market for graduating seniors. In 2008, it's still really, we see the and effects we're, still. We're still seeing it. The fortunate part right now, um, I would say 30 years ago, uh, probably uh, the percent of the population with some form of college education was under 15%. Now we're hovering around the 35% mark, uh, which means we're having a, a more educated society, and that's the aim of a democratic society. But getting back to your, your direct question, um, when I went to college, uh, career services uh, was essentially something you thought about in your senior year. 
uh, on what I'm going to do. You, you were majoring in a particular discipline, uh, and that hopefully coincided with your professional aspirations. But basically, you went, if, even if it existed, your career services center your senior year. We're now fi finding that, and we're making a, a major change here at the university, where entering freshmen not only see their academic advisor, but we are encouraging them very strongly to make their first visit to the Career Services Center. Because at this point in time, when you graduate, it's not only uh, the degree you have uh, and the knowledge you have, but also experience companies are looking for, especially in the forms of internships. So if, if uh, one of our students can get a, an internship between their sophomore and junior year and then their junior and senior year, they have a much better opportunity of immediately getting the job they want uh, and in a, in a timely fashion. So my dream for our students is they get a, a liberal arts education which expands their horizon. Uh, then they can make a choice of major where they would like to work in and fulfill themselves. Get that internship important internship between the junior and senior year at, and during that summer at the end of the summer they're called into the office and offered a job uh, the following May so when they graduate they, they come here their senior knowing they have a job and so they're able to complete their degree and then enter the job market immediately one of the things I've heard from several employers uh, anecdotally, I don't uh, prompt them, but they say to me, when I hire a Westcon student, they come to me without an attitude, it's, and they compare them favorably to private school students who um, some of them feel they're entitled. Our students aren't like that, so it really flows into uh, something that uh, is, builds on their strengths. Right. Yeah, they, they don't think they're going to be running the company in five years. I mean, if, if we have any difficulty in that regard, and this is what's so critically important about our freshmen uh, accessing the Career Services Center, is a lack of confidence. And something we'll talk about later is, is our Center for, uh, for uh, Student Entrepreneurship, but uh, is to build confidence. So these are students from uh, middle class, blue collar, and poor families mm -hmm. uh, where th they don't feel entitled. Uh, as I use in my speeches, uh, most of them, none of them were born with a silver spoon, most with just a wooden spoon. Uh, and and that they realize that they're lucky to get a job opportunity and that they're lucky and fortunate to be given a college education. And most of them work uh, during their stay with us uh, to support themselves, putting themselves through college. And most of them are first timers. Uh, their parents uh, did not go to college. So they feel that you know, they've been ex exceptionally fortunate to have this opportunity. Mm-hmm. And as you've said before, many of our students go on to become citizens in the local community and they're firefighters and police officers. Some of them are lawyers. We have a good biology and chemistry program, so some go into the medical profession or doctors. But a lot of them are uh, um, blue collar and middle class. They build the middle class. That's what uh, a lot of what Westcon is, right? Right. And really, I would say the working middle class. Hmm. Right. That brings up the question of our honors program, which I know we're very proud of here, uh, that is growing too and attracts students who are, um, their families are often um, working middle class. Their students are often the first ones in their families to go to school, go to college. But um, 
these are a lot of these students could go anywhere, almost anywhere in the country too. Right. The the one thing we want to emphasize for Westcon is we can have it all. Uh, we are looking for those motivated students who may not have been a superstar in high school or who have gotten the greatest SAT score but realize the value of a college education and are willing to work. So there, there's a contract here. Uh, that, that type of student, we welcome them in uh, because they're members of our local communities here in Western Connecticut. And, that, and, and what our faculty pride themselves on are bringing that type of student who we may typify as maybe average, no superstar, and have, making them bloom here. So by the time the senior year, they have the confidence and they're performing well acad academically. On the other hand, we also, as you just mentioned with the Kothwari Honors House, we have top-notch students. And we have a number of students here, I mean, just so the audience knows, 1,400, 1,500 on the SAT scores. Uh, we just had one student, Allison Voss, who graduated, get the Fulbright Scholarship, and we've had a number of students the Fulbright Scholarship. So the message we want to send to uh, uh, our audience is, here at WestCon, you have the opportunity, um, you know, to go to move forward. Uh, this is a school with a, an excellent academic reputation. We certainly have the right price in these days when the affordability of college is being severely and rightfully questioned, and that you have access to all sorts of great jobs and great graduate programs and scholarship programs like the Fulbright. Mm -hmm. So in addition to as you talked about Career Success Center, uh, what are some of the other things that WestCon, it's important for the university to be doing as an institution for our students and for the community too? Right, well, we'll give you one example. And, and you know, I say in, in uh, a lot of my uh, talks before our, our, our community groups outside the university is the one thing I'm always cognizant of, and I hope all our faculty and staff are, is our name is Western Connecticut State University. We are a public institution, uh, and we come in that great tradition of the land-grant universities where we serve our students, but we also are here to serve our, our community. And so there's, whether it's cultural, academic, economic, you know, with our business sectors, that's why we're here. So I'll give you one example of what the university can do. Uh, I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, you mentioned our wonderful biology department. Well, the research that's done there, we have now a, a number of major focuses. We just got a, 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 one of our professors, Nita Connolly, got a $1.6 million grant, the largest in the university's history, uh, to study tick-related diseases like Lyme disease. That's in direct, you know, a direct relationship with our area, as our audience, uh, audience knows. Uh, we have biologists doing uh, a lot of field research work on Candlewood Lake and some of the problems presented there. So this is, uh, there's a lot of applied research that is directly related to Western Connecticut, which we're very proud of. The other thing we're doing is we started um, uh, the Center for Student Entrepreneurship, which we're calling ERIC, for Entrepreneurship, Research, Innovation, and Creativity. And this is the type of students we're coming in. We see them, uh, 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 what, uh, 
what is going to be the next generation here in Western Connecticut. You know, our leaders, as you mentioned, whether they go into law enforcement, whether they go into business, but what, what I wanted to do is to feel that there's a community university partnership. So Eric is really a partnership with the university, with the city's uh, Danbury's hackerspace, and also the Small Business Development Center here in town, which is located in the Chamber of Commerce. So our student will go in if they have an idea for a business or want some business training. Uh, this is a, a separate and, and apart from our academic programming. They'll get the ne necessary uh, mentorship and tutorship to try. Now, what's important, Paul, is the mindset because national statistics aren't too encouraging in one sense that a lot of these ventures or student ventures, since they're just starting, uh, will fail. I think the average success rate nationally for student entrepreneurship centers, don't hold to me, is about 10 to 12 percent because it's difficult for anybody to start a business and especially just for a student you know, to access the capital. Uh, but what we're training them to do is, is actually training them to fail. Uh, learning uh, to be proactive, not simply reactive, you know, you know, learning knowledge, but you're learning through doing. And we also invite, because we have a number of young entrepreneurs who are not students at the university, uh, to come to the university, come to ERIC, our Center for Entrepreneurship, and you can either be mentors, or if you need some form of assistance, our faculty, or the members of the Small Business Development Corporation or the hackerspace are there to help them, maybe through a couple of, of rough spots. And also these entrepreneurs, as well as older businessmen, and we'll also put out an appeal to retired business executives who started business or, or have special expertise to be mentors in the program. So it's really transforming our students, again, from day one. You can be a freshman to go into the center or, or a senior. But at least if you have an idea, then you start to, to see all the things you need and resources, access to start up a business. But here's the important point, is the state of mind. Is when you walk in, you just don't sit there and, and, and wait for someone to tell you to what to do. Everybody knows that. What, what we want to produce in the center is not only people who know how to start up businesses in, 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 uh, in our region, but people who work in government. Uh, you can be entrepreneurial in government uh, and, and come up with new, new and better ways of uh, ideas of doing stuff. And that also goes for our not-for-profits or education in any number of sectors. So as you said, we do have a reputation of our students having a certain amount of humility, uh, but we also want them to have that reputation of being really proactive. They're not going to take over the business, but they're going to contribute. And whoever employs them knows they're going to go the extra mile because they've been there through the center training as well as their academic training. So that's one of the examples of what we're trying to do here at WestCon to serve the community because they are the ones who provide us with the tax subsidies so that we're able to do the things uh, that we're doing. And I think people in the leaders in the community are learning and understanding that WestCon isn't doesn't see itself as the ivory tower either. Uh, our students and our 
faculty and our administrators are out in the community right. working in different uh, with different organizations, bringing them onto campus, going out to their organizations and trying to make the city better too. Like the Western Day of Service. Mm -hmm. And that, for those of you uh, listening may not know, uh, each year we plan to expand this program. Uh, I think, Paul, how many participants do we had last year? 600. 600 students uh, with faculty and staff go out. And it may be, seem like a small contribution, but it's significant. It teaches our students the value of service to the community, not only getting an education, but you are citizens uh, and you are expected to contribute. So our students do anything from painting. Last year I was with a group. We were at, at the uh, fire department uh, watering, hosing down and, and, and washing their trucks. Small little things that may seem insignificant, but when you have 600 students out there with faculty and staff, it's that day where the, the, uh, the city of Danbury and the surrounding region see us outside the university actually contributing uh, mm -hmm. to it. So people know that we're a state institution uh, we got uh, significant uh, financial support and other support from the state. And most people who listen to this will know, too, that the state uh, legislature and the government is grappling with a difficult budget year. What is it? What message would you like to give to citizens and residents about uh, where WestCon um, uh, the importance of supporting WestCon and where it stands in the whole uh, state organization. Well, Paul, I'm of a certain age where you know history tends to repeat itself, so there are cycles, hmm. and and right now we're in a down cycle. But the worst thing you can do, uh, we are, and I want to assure all our listeners and especially the taxpayers uh, that we do exercise financial responsibility, uh, and we like to run an efficient and an effective organization. Uh, and, and that's key to us. And it's, it's also a role model for our students. So they're aware that, and they are, uh, of, of the taxes our citizens pay to support them. But the simple answer, and I'll expand on it uh, a bit more, is that, uh, and I think people know this intuitively, uh, that this is the next generation for Western Connecticut. Uh, and if we sit here and, and just ha take a woe is me approach uh, that, you know, that Hartford's having difficulties and, and we have a budget deficit, we have a company that or companies leaving the state. No, we're not preaching that. We're saying this is this is our heritage and our history in the state, uh, in the region, in the city of Danbury is we build, we grow, we prosper. And actually, we we accept and embrace adversity because that's when we call upon our community for creative ideas and that this is a cycle and we're at the bottom now but we're going to claw and fight our way back up and that's what our students face in their studies i mean there's certain i'm sure there's certain courses where they're going to ace and there's other courses where it's tough and what they're learning is life is tough but it also has its rewards and you can either take a positive view or a negative view. And the negative view here is totally unacceptable because it leads you nowhere. So Western Connecticut, I can assure everybody, WestCon is moving forward and having a little bit of fun too. Mm -hmm. I want to pivot a little bit to you, uh, your background again. You had a long background in business. You were 
literally on Wall Street, doing all those uh, things that uh, we see in the movies and read about. Uh, the good things. All the good <laughs> things, not the bad things. Yeah. But you, that was a lot different than, um, I think, than what it is uh, in a... Uh, uh, university setting. So how did you make that uh, transition from Wall Street, literally Wall Street, to uh, universities? Actually, it's a lot easier than it appears. Um, uh, and, and I caution people that there, there, there are much different cultures. Now, that make it a laugh because, of course, Wall Street is known for various things, some of which are true, some of which are not true. Uh, but they, they could be two very different worlds. Uh, uh, but it's my own background because what I wanted to be in life was a professor of philosophy. And that's a field that has its own challenges. So uh, actually I was doing my graduate degree in philosophy at New York University. And um, I was working for the city of New York at the time in the Health and Hospitals Corporation. And the timing was at one point horrible, and the timing at one point at the same time was perfect. Horrible was philosophy was starting to have uh, all the problems we see attributed to the humanities today. Uh, of course, a lot of students are attracted to the professionally oriented programs. I've always been uh, a supporter of that, but a devotee of the humanities and especially philosophy. So I was doing my master's degree in philosophy, completed, I was, uh, uh, and I had every intention of going on to the doctorate in an academic career. So in part, I've always been part of the academy in one way or another and did manage to complete my degree. But um, NYU had difficulties with the philosophy department and decided to terminate the doctoral program of philosophy. I was also rather brusquely informed that there were no job opportunities in philosophy. At the same time, I was working for the New York City Health and Hospitals Corporation, and uh, I had grown up in a place in the Bronx where Wall Street literally didn't exist, really. It was sort of this fictional entity in downtown Manhattan we never saw. Uh, but what happened, it, it was a period of time when the federal government was undergoing uh, massive reforms in Medicare and Medicaid. And prior to that, if you bought a hospital bond, uh, it, you were pretty well safe. Uh, you just put it in your drawer. And if people remember here of an older generation, used to clip coupons and cash them you know, at your local bank and, and collect your interest. And, and there was no security uh, concerns at all. Well, that changed everything, these reforms. And a number of hospitals closed. Uh, there were a number of bankruptcies. And there was just general concern about the healthcare market. So um, I'm sitting there. I was in budget and finance uh, then at New York City Health and Hospitals Corporation, uh, which at that point had 12 acute care hospitals, people that may know Bellevue. Uh, you know, or Harlem Hospital. Uh, so it, it was the largest municipal uh, hosp hospital system in the country. So we were pretty sophisticated. And this is through a friend of a friend of a friend. I was, we we're just having dinner and uh, he worked on Wall Street. And actually I think he was the first person I ever met who worked on Wall Street. And he happened to be director of research for a Wall Street firm. And we started chatting and he said, you know, I, I don't have a hospital analyst and, and we're looking. And from your conversation, you seem to have a pretty good handle on what's happening nationally uh, and your work in budget and finance and reimbursement. So that's how I got on the street. So I, I wanted to be an academic philosopher, 
but such was the times that I went on Wall Street. The other interesting connection was during that time in the municipal bond industry, uh, you know, bonds are issued through various agencies and, and authorities, uh, and the state, for example, the state of Connecticut here. Uh, you also have Connecticut Health and Education Facilities Authority, CHIFA. Uh, so most states, uh, because the big issuers of hospital debt were usually universe, uh, university related, uh, like Yale, or in New York, people will know Cornell, New York, or Columbia Presbyterian. So you had health and higher ed uh, facilities Authority, and that became my specialty when I was an analyst on the street, a health and higher ed analyst. So I never really left higher ed, and, and then I became an investment banker uh, doing health and higher ed deals, among other things. So I, I always had that spirit, but I think it was really, it was, it was always my calling. And uh, for those of you who may not know or may be interested, it was, again, and this is part of the life story we tell, uh, we tell students about perseverance and keep at it is uh, through a horrible tragedy, I, I ironically realized my life's dream uh, because it was 9-11, I was working on Wall Street. Uh, lost a number of friends and started thinking philosophically because as you mentioned before my wife and I then had two young daughters and um, I wanted the opportunity to spend more time at home you know money isn't everything and I had done a lot of work with the state of New York and the city of New York and actually was, was talking to them about a number of job opportunities uh, at either the state or city level because I wanted to stay in the, in the major New York City metropolitan area uh, where we had relatives you know, in Westchester and Queens and New Jersey uh, and in Connecticut. Uh, my uh, my brother-in-law comes, uh, comes from Newtown. Mm. So you know, I was not unfamiliar with the territory and I got the phone call and hopefully our, all our students get these phone calls. And they looked at my resume, and um, I had done a number of workouts for the state of New York uh, with municipalities in financial trouble. So they knew I, I was used to dealing with very difficult situations and uh, got a call from the governor's office. And they explained to me that uh, there was an opening. The president was leaving at SUNY Plattsburgh. Uh, there were a number of issues, you know, the financial issues, morale issues, uh, and that they had a few people uh, that were interviewing for an interim position. It'd only be one year. I wouldn't be permanent. And would I be interested? So, you know, I took a flyer. My wife looked at me and goes, where's Plattsburgh? And if anybody wants to look at a map, it's about half an hour south of the uh, Quebec border, about an hour south of Montreal. And so um, I interviewed, I, I don't know whether the other people they mentioned were actual or fictional, uh, because it was a very difficult situation. And as soon as I were, uh, walked at, on the university, Paul, I got that feeling. Mm. Like, you know, I've come home. And immediately gravitated over to the philosophy department. Although, I'll tell you, as a true philosopher, I love all the arts and the sciences and the professional fields of study because that's what people think of it as just an academic discipline, but the definition of a philosopher in the ancient Greek is lover of wisdom. So uh, I felt like um, the difficulties were the difficulties, uh, but I was a kid in a candy shop because I could go over to the physics department and talk to people who were doing wonderful things in physics. 
I could go over to our, you know, our health exercise department and they could look at me and say, you need to lose a couple of pounds or you need to exercise more. But I, I had the whole world of knowledge, you know, and, and with a wonderful group doing an absolutely wonderful thing. And what I fell in love with is with, with our students and just seeing the youth vitality. And SUNY Plattsburgh, by the way, was uh, very similar to us. Uh, started just like we did as, as a teacher's college, a state normal school. Uh, so they, st they had that dedication to teaching. And as we mentioned before, we have top-notch honor students, but we also accept those students who are you know average students, and we love to see them bloom. And that's really where the spirit in my career in higher ed started those many years ago, and I became SUNY's fire person. So we had problems in, in Brockport, as you mentioned, in optometry in Alfred, and just grew and grew and grew. And then I went to CUNY and finally here, and I walked on this campus. Again, it was the same sensation I had working, uh, walking on the campus at SUNY Plattsburgh. This is home, and this is where I've always wanted to be. Now, some people have suggested that, that I may be descended from an errant monk, you know, <laughs> uh, but, but there's that feeling of, you know, the, the, of alma mater, of being in the academy, university, and doing something very, very special and, and working with the parents and developing, as, as I said, our next generation uh, that are going to live, work, and raise their families here in Western Connecticut. These, those things that you mentioned, working with students and seeing them grow and the excitement that they bring and all the different uh, areas that you can become involved in or at least know a little bit about, from physics to philosophy, is really an exciting part of uh, being on a campus, and I've felt the same way. But I've also talked to business people who spend uh, a little time, maybe a semester, on a campus, and they're pulling their hair out by the end because they have no idea how to uh, work in our um, in the academy, as we call higher ed, and uh, they end up running away. But you didn't seem to have that trouble. You seem to uh, understand uh, how to work within the, um, uh, the, the structure that's set up in higher ed uh, and make that transition. Is that true? Yeah. Act and it's always because I, uh, and people should know, I continued my education all the way through when I was on Wall Street. So they may seem odd, but it was my, call it was my true calling because I have three master's degrees and a doctorate. I was always at some university or other. Um, and, um, and so I was always in the academy, always had the respect for the academy. And I, I, I remember I had been, I'd been in, in the United States Army uh, for two years and proudly served during Vietnam, but I was in West Germany with the 8th Infantry Division. That's certainly one culture. Uh, New York City, I worked for a number of different agencies, Housing Authority, the Health and Hospitals Corporation, New York State Emergency Financial Control Board, New York City Department of Mental Health, all with different cultures. And then I go to Wall Street with a completely, completely different culture. But along the way, I picked up that there are different ways of interacting and different traditions that needed to be respected and understood in order to do business. And in, in our case, in order to educate. Uh, and, and, that's, and, and part of education is the question. So we have a term in the university I, I felt very comfortable with, and that's called shared governance. 
And to me, uh, that means that everybody in our university community, especially our faculty, we have a university senate with our staff, we have very, very intelligent people here. And that myself as president, and when I make a decision, it should be informed by our community, not just by me, because I can make very bad mistakes, but this is a communal decision. And so for me, it was being a student for so long, as my mother kept reminding me, but I did have a full-time job, that you start to gather you know, what that importance is, is in the university. Whereas in Wall Street, you, you may be a trader or, or a salesman having to make a split-second decision and it may be much more individual, the university is much more communal. So people who uh, meet you for the first time, and you've done a lot of that over the uh, last couple of years, meeting people for the first time, introducing yourself to the community, uh, people who meet you for the first time quickly learn some of the basics about who you are. You tell them you uh, were born and raised in the Bronx, you're a Catholic, you're very proud of your Irish heritage. When I first met you, it was something that uh, struck me that uh, in Connecticut, it's not quite as, uh, you don't see hear that as much. Is that kind of a Bronx thing that you tell people who you are right away? Well, it, it, it's a New York City ethnic thing, as, or, or, <laughs> or ethnic, as we would say. Mm -hmm. But, the, I mean, the real point is, and, and this is the point of the university, is, I, I, is that people should be proud of their heritage. Uh, but... I'm an Irish American, and um, when I saw my relatives in Ireland, I was reminded that I was a Yank. Mm -hmm. I was not Irish, and and part of the university, and I think a major uh, lesson our students learn. This is why uh, diversity is so important. That you find that there is a sameness, there is difference, which we celebrate. Uh, and I, I'll just tell anybody who loves food, I mean, it, it's wonderful if you like Italian food, you know, Hispanic food, and Jewish deli, you know, whatever it may be. Well, it's the same meaning different human beings from different backgrounds. And, and there should be that sense of delight that here's somebody who thinks differently than me. This is the true sense of democracy. We want different perspectives because if it's all the same, it will stagnate. And then also a, a lot of... You know, the bigotry, a lot of the prejudice, when you actually meet someone from a different background face to face, and you say, you know what, this is a, a really nice, smart person, all of a sudden that tends to evaporate. And this is the, the true American spirit. I mean, there, there is no such thing as an, an Irish-American only, uh, or Italian, or a black uh, American, or Hispanic American, or Lebanese American here in Danbury, Brazilian, I mean, just go on. We are the world. If there's United Nations, we are it, and that's what we should celebrate at the university, mm -hmm. and, and, and give our students the opportunity to meet other students from different backgrounds, and that is the future of America. Mm-hmm. I agree. It's one of the strengths of the university. All our students aren't the same as they are at some places. Uh, and I understand, in your case, the uh, pride for uh, where you grew up, the Bronx, and your religion, being Catholic. I never have quite got this uh, Irish thing. Isn't Ireland kind of like a little spit of gravel in the North Atlantic? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, um, it's an interesting story. You know, People who, uh, who are listening who are college football fans 
will certainly know the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame University, who had a pretty bad season last year. Uh, but the explanation of the terminology is, is very interesting and to the point we're discussing. Uh, because there was a, 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 a certain interview with a Holy Cross father who was a priest at the University of Notre Dame. He said, people should not think that the Fighting Irish just simply means the Irish. It's that we, we should remind ourselves the difficulties when Irish immigrants first came to this country, uh, meeting with prejudice and, and bigotry and all the difficulties they, they had and being looked down upon. Uh, and that, uh, that the fight is, is really, even though it, it's used in, in football terms, the fight is really for civil rights and, and respect for all groups. And never forget where you came from, never forget what you had to struggle, and where there are other groups in the similar struggle uh, that you should be allied in helping and assisting them you know, in America here. Because again, we're part of the American dream. And so whatever your background, you know, especially on St. Patrick's Day, you're fighting Irish. But it could be fighting anything but fighting for right, fighting what is just, and fighting for those causes we all believe in. Mm -hmm. And the Irish were treated pretty badly for a long time here in America, the immigrants. Are... Right. And, I mean, unfortunately, we have a history that certainly, you know, black Americans know, Hispanic Americans know, Jewish Americans know. I mean, certainly, you uh, know, throughout, you know, the centuries. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the, the great dreams of America, where we can finally get to a point where a citizen is a full citizen with all, you know, with equal rights. And just reading our Constitution and, and our, uh, certainly our Declaration of Independence. Hmm. You talked at the beginning about how uh, it's changed on college, things that have changed on college campuses. And one of them, one of those things is uh, the diversity and the acceptance of diversity on a right. college campus with LGBT and uh, acknowledging everybody's ethnicity and pride in their heritage, which... I don't know, 30 years ago really wasn't as much of a topic, I right. don't think. Well, I mean, this is, you know, uh, I referred to earlier as an, a realization of the American dream of higher education for all. Because quite frankly, if you're talking 30 or 40 years ago, although we don't like to talk about it, um, you know, America still is a, a class society in certain respects. And college was for, and I remember growing up in the Bronx, and, and uh, that college was really for the really, really, really smart kids, you know, and, and that could be a, an elite few, and athletes. And everybody after high school was expected to work, uh, you know, whether you're a fireman, a cop, or in the trades, or a bus driver, and that college wasn't for us. And I remember that message loud and clear. Uh, and, and now, uh, so, so it, it was for a particular social class, whether you want to call it the upper class or upper middle class, and below that was maybe you had a lower middle class, but basically it was a working class where a college degree was not needed, required, or you were simply uh, not accepted uh, as college coming from that particular background. Now, uh, as I said before, with 35%, I mean, we love to have a goal of 100%, uh, is that everybody has an equal opportunity uh, to gain knowledge, gain wisdom, and also broaden their horizons, their opportunities. You know, again, we referred to Eric, 
I mean, part of ERIC, the Center for Entrepreneurship, Research, Innovation, and Creativity, is, is to have a freshman come in who necessarily has a, a limited amount of knowledge, uh, and especially about what she or he wants to do in life, and really broaden that and things they had never, never thought about. I can tell you, hanging around in a Bronx street corner, uh, if you talked to me when I was 16 or 17 saying, John, one day you'll be university president, I thought you'd be totally out of your mind. Uh, if you told me at 16 or 17 I'd be working on Wall Street, uh, I, I would be absolutely astounded. Going, that's, that's not going to happen. So this is part of that realization of the American dream. Mm-hmm. Your grandparents wouldn't have believed it either, right? Right. Yep. Well, thank you very much for coming in and talking to us today. I also want to thank our producers, Scott Fulpe and Pete Puccio, who make this podcast available to the world of Connecticut and the rest of the universe. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe at WCSU Media on iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher so you can stay up to date with all editions of WCSU 411. Please leave a comment or a review and tell your friends to tune in to learn more about Western Connecticut State University and the interesting conversations we have here like the one we had today with Dr. John Clark. Thanks, Thank Dr. you, Paul. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.